Hi, I'm Chris Apolito, and welcome to the Get Coached Podcast, where I'm documenting my journey from employee to entrepreneur while featuring the coaches that are helping me along the way. Each episode, these coaches provide actionable advice to help me and you, the audience, find more success as entrepreneurs. I invite you to join the journey so we can go and grow together. Welcome to another episode of the Get Coach Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Tom Matson, who is an international bestseller and business coach, and now leads an emerging global enterprise with a mission to empower 10,000 authority entrepreneurs to build global movements and seven to eight figure businesses over the next five years. Tom and I talked about how to build a tribe of raving fans that would lead to a seven figure business. Please enjoy this conversation with Tom Matson. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, this, uh, I'm, I'm a little excited about this episode because I had mentioned this before we started recording. It's a bit of a couple of firsts. Uh, this is the first time that I'm, I'm doing an episode without actually doing a pre-interview. And I want to preface that because there's going to probably be some different conversation here a little bit. Um, but we did chat beforehand, so I feel good. You're a fellow Canadian, so there's obviously the instant bond there. Instant bond. But the good news for your listeners is I am bilingual. I speak American and Canadian. Perfect. Because I yeah. think the... Uh, actually, no. The majority of my audience is from Canada, <laughs> oh, which is no, very yeah, which is which is then. really strange because the majority of my guests are Americans. But we'll, we'll have see. to go to Timmy's <laughs> and grab uh, some timbits. So I was, <laughs> I'd love if you could share your story. Uh, let the audience know who you are, your and what your journey's been to get to where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. And first off, I appreciate taking the time to uh, to chat today. Um, I uh, I've been an entrepreneur for 36 years. 36 years, uh, made and lost millions along the way, many times over. Uh, and I say that because as an entrepreneur, your best lessons are often from your biggest failures, your biggest mistakes, your biggest flops. Certainly that's been the case for me. And I think uh, now I've come to the realization that it's not about eliminating the peaks and valleys. It's about shortening the downtime and bouncing back faster. You know, And, and uh, the planet's going through that as we record this you know, be broadcast later. Hopefully we're out of the, the craziness, but you know, as we're recording this, it's going to get crazier before it gets better. Well, welcome to life as an entrepreneur, right? As an entrepreneur or those that want to be an entrepreneur, one of the crazy advantages you have is you get to control your destiny. One of the crazy disadvantages ha you have is that you're in charge of your destiny. No one else is. And so that journey for me, I, I mean, I started in the corporate side and I loved it, but I realized early on, I make a lousy employee. We were talking about this in one of your previous careers with one of the big banks. You'd give an idea and they'd say, yeah, that's not your job. That's not your job, Chris, to give ideas. We have entire departments that get up new ideas. You know, just do your job. I, I was like that. And I hated that. I didn't last in that environment. I wasn't good. I, so I would actually work and take a new job and take a new job and take a new job until I stopped learning. And I learned early on the first First 30, 40 years, learn as much as you can. And then the next 30, 40 years, earn as much as you can. Like, just be learning, be having fun. And so I, I would do that. And, and I was always a good employee. I want to be clear. I was always a good employee, but I also knew I was never going to last in that environment. That if I was going to have the impact I wanted, the income I wanted, or the influence I wanted, I needed to be an entrepreneur. And so I went on my own years ago. Um, I had businesses part-time while I was in the corporate side, but I went full-time, I think it's now 36 years ago. So I, I, I'm what, uh, what did Alex Mendozian call us? We're BGs. We're, we're before Google on before the internet. Before Google. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which puts a lot of context on that side. It's been a great journey and it's changed the audience, the, the journey, who I work with, how I help. Initially I was helping small business owners, bricks and mortar, service-based businesses grow and scale. And uh, that was a lot of fun and I got very good at it so I could charge a lot of money. I learned early on from one of my mentors we were talking about in a, in a quick little pre-interview with J about Jay Abraham. He was my personal coach for a number of years. 
one of the smartest guys in marketing, I learned risk reversal and offering an amazing guarantee at 23. I learned to guarantee results as a coach. And for those of you that don't guarantee results as a coach, especially if you're a business coach, you're leaving money on the table. You're just leaving money on the table. And so fortunately, I learned that early. I got into that. Then I realized I would double their sales and I would leave them in chaos. It was a disaster. And, and I was like, why is it in such chaos? Well, they didn't have the systems for double the sales. They didn't have the systems. And so I was fortunate enough to hook up with Michael Gerber. I became an EMIF mastery coach for a number of years, worked with one of the smartest guys on systems and processes and, or processes, right, Canadians, and turnkeying their business and having the business work with or without the owner. And, and I realized you need both, right? You need both. You need systems in place so the business works with or without you. And you need sales. You need revenue. You need new business. You need both to have a, a flourishing business. And I've since added in, you also need to be able to give back. You need to look at the planet and say, how can I make the world a better place? You know, I have a simple philosophy, Chris. Business has messed up the planet, and it's not government's job to fix it. It's business's job to fix it. If you think about it, everything worthwhile, somewhere along the way, an entrepreneur said, I can make that better. Or I can invent this. It's not even there yet. I can invent this. Or whatever it happens to be. My son is a, he's 13. He's a big Elon Musk fan. And I guess today he tweeted out as we record this that Elon Musk has predicted he's going to have a flying Tesla within six years. That's crazy. Anyone else in the world, I'd be like, what a nutcase. And Elon, I'm like, can I put a deposit down? Can I put a deposit down? Like, is it, will he pull it off in six years? Probably not. But if he sets it as a goal, the odds of him pulling it off are really good. Like really impressive. So I just love that entrepreneurial spirit, always have. And and now my journey really is about helping authority entrepreneurs. That's what I call it. People that have knowledge and wisdom, package that knowledge and wisdom and sell it to the world and make a really good living at it. Uh, what I call a seven figure income. So, you know, because nowadays there's a lot of things you can do with your money, but you got to have it if you're going to make that impact in the world if you're going to right. give back, if you're going to make a difference. And uh, that comes with building a, uh, an income that's commensurate with that. So that's a quick summary. How's that? That was good. <laughs> I like that. Um, you, I know in, in your, your, your bio, you'd mentioned that you'd built like 82 different businesses. Is that number still up to date or is it no, now that's like 83 or 84? If I updated it, it would probably be 87 <laughs> right now, but uh, 82 is what our, our PR team has got in the, the press release. So I didn't right. want to change that with everyone. But yeah, it, I, I, I love, and for years, loved starting businesses. In the last 20 years, uh, it's primarily been joint ventures. So we'll, we'll partner up and we'll say, okay, you're really good at that. I'm really good at this. Let's, let's partner up and do, do something together. I look for what I call one plus one is 11, mm. right? That the combination isn't just two of us putting our resources together, then we don't, one of us is redundant, right? But if together, what we come up with is so much better than the separate parts, that's a good strategic alliance or joint venture. And so that's what most of them are now. I look for ways to leverage impact, influence, and income. And, and I like doing that with people. You know, we're in the people business, even though we're cyber, right? We're in the people business and that's how we connect and make a difference. Well, if anything, I, I think being cyber just opens up the opportunities for more people to connect with, right? Oh, so totally. rather than having to worry about like, is this guy local or in my country, you can start business ventures with somebody over in Europe or Australia or whatever. It doesn't matter. And to the Canadians listening in, you can get paid in US dollars. Yes. Yes. You know what's what? really fun? <laughs> Getting paid in US dollars by a Canadian. <laughs> yes, I agree. Then you know you created real value in the proposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi, Myrna. Shout out to Myrna and Kelowna. <laughs> it's um, what is the the term that's used in the fire community is uh, geo arbitrage. So you you build a business getting paid in U.S. dollars, but then you live in a country where the currency, like that U.S. dollar, is actually like a higher value currency, which. Canada is. It's not the biggest arbitrage, but there's people that live like in Mexico or Thailand and they get, they build their business making us dollars. And obviously like they're, they're like, 
I'm rolling in it because of the exchange rate. Yeah. So I love that. Um, a question I wanted to ask, because I love asking this, especially with somebody who's had so many different businesses and, and I'm sure, and I know you, you share this is that you've had a lot of failures, but, um, in, in, in hindsight, so looking back at some of those losses, what would be one of the losses that ended up turning out to be one of the most valuable lessons learned? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. It's pretty dramatic too. And it's got a Canadian twist. Oh, I um, like it. We were building indoor golf training center franchises. So the sport of golf, uh, indoor, learning how to golf, guaranteed results from lessons, big indoor training centers. Uh, and we were franchising them and growing. And we decided as part of our expansion strategy to go public. And so we did uh, what technically is called an RTO, like a reverse takeover on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the TSX Venture, it was called then, which is the mini exchange in Canada on the West Coast. And uh, knew nothing about that world whatsoever, but knew lots about the other world. And so as we started to grow and realized that was our path, we said, we got to bring uh, a CEO in when we go public to take over who's got public company experience. Because mm. I didn't know a lot, but I knew that the public company world was filled with sharks. And we wanted someone who could take that on and, and so we could flourish as we did that. And so we had a, you know, we hired a firm to do a job search to replace me. And we had 600 and some candidates on the list and they narrowed it down to the top 12 and myself and the board interviewed all the 12 and we narrowed it down to the top two and they were both way overqualified for this company, but awesome and interested and wanting to be part of it and wanting to help us scale and break through. And we took the top guy and made him an offer and he said, yes. And we're like, fantastic. So we brought him in and vastly overqualified. And I stepped aside as part of the plan and he took over. And my wife said, you can't, you can't put him in there. You can't put him in that role. He's a shark. And we're like, well, we know he's a shark. We want a shark. Because we're going into public company world. We need someone that can, you know, swim with the sharks and, and hold our own. And of course, you know, famous words. Mm. <laughs> Six months later, he takes all the cash out of the till. We miss a filing. The company is delisted. And I famously go from $21 million in an IPO into $10 million in debt in six easy months. Holy moly. And uh, it turns out that when I stepped down, the contract that prevented him from doing that was changed by him, but I was no longer there to be the check and balance. And so he was able to change it as CEO. And he took the funds, not illegally, but rather as an advance on payment, which he was then able to say he could do, mm. knowing full well the company would get delisted. And it caused this cascading effect. And I realized much, many months later, that the biggest single lesson is never go into business with sharks. <laughs> go into business with dolphins if you're a dolphin. If you're a shark, go into business with sharks, fine, you can kill each other and have fun. But if you're a dolphin, if you want to make the world a better place, if you're a team player, if you believe in fun, if you believe in you know, the spirit of play, you do not go into business with a shark because their job is to eat you. That's their job. And so who's the fool? Well, in this situation, it was me. Right. I was the CEO. I was the guy that signed off on it. I knew he was a shark, Chris. I knew it. I actually wanted that. That's how silly I was. I wanted that shark. So when he sharked us, which is the clean way of saying what he did, <laughs> What a surprise. He's being a shark. That's his job. He then bought out a major restaurant chain in the States with a venture capital firm, put that into receivership, put a separate capital group, bought that whole bankrupt restaurant chain, 10 cents on the dollar, and is now the CEO of that restaurant chain laughing all the way to the bank, and he's burned hundreds of millions of dollars along the way. That's what he does. That's, That's crazy. what he does. And so the lesson for those of you tuning in, is if you're not prepared to give your checkbook to your new partner and let them run with it, they're not a partner for you yet. Hmm. Like you got to have that level of trust, that level of belief that this person, man, it wouldn't matter. I give my checkbook. They'll take care of me like they are me. Totally trust them. If not, you can still do like joint ventures. Just don't go into business. Right. I lost a lot of money in that transaction, but I, it was the most single, most important lesson of my life for business. Yeah. Business yeah. And that, I mean, 
Yeah, that would, that would be tough. I would find it, I guess, as much as I work on not allowing my emotions to control me, uh, not having gone through something to that extent, that would be, I can only imagine the, the emotions that you were experiencing throughout that. Well, it was was staggering. It was staggering because the, the, you know, as entrepreneurs, one of the characteristics, and for those of you that are thinking of making the leap, one of the characteristics of a good entrepreneur is you want accountability on your shoulders, right? You want the puck in the final few minutes, right? You want the shot at the three-point line when the game's on the line. You want that. And if you don't want that, you don't want to be an entrepreneur. Mm. So, what happens when you go through something traumatic like this, you blame yourself, 100%. Now, in this situation, I had stepped down from the C-suite. I had stepped down from the board, which wasn't planned for two years, but he made it a condition of the deal. Now we know why. Because right. yeah. <laughs> the check and balance would have been there. So, I, I mean, I totally had lots of reasons to blame myself. But in the end, there was nothing I could have done. Nothing I could have done in that scenario except not hire the shark. Mm-hmm. except not hire the shark. But this guy was so qualified for what we wanted to do and had such resume and background and personality and charm and the ability to you know, raise capital in the markets as we grew. So it took a long time, though, to get out of the blame game, right? Pointing at that person and three fingers are coming back. We all know that analogy. When you point at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. <clears throat> it took a long time. I was mad and bitter and frustrated and yeah several years ultimately ultimately it ended my marriage chris ultimately in my marriage five more years later hmm. um so the cascading effect of these things you know right there there are peer, people here about business failures and they think oh that's bad <clears throat> but if you've ever known anyone that's gone through it it almost always ends in divorce it almost always ends in family stress and trauma and sometimes much worse and so i never treat a business failure lightly anyone's as a result i've become a pretty good friend or you know advisor when people are going through problems it's like okay this too shall pass fred don't worry about it let's talk about the real problems here because that's not really a problem you think it's a problem but it's not really a problem yeah which is the value of having someone in your corner who's gone through a lot of these types of experiences yeah and a lot of people forget you can get people like that on your advisory board for, for next to nothing in the beginning. Yeah. A cup of coffee, right? A cup of coffee, a glass of wine, a friendly word, amazing entrepreneurs that have been there, done that, got the t-shirt will help you if you just ask. My private coaching rate is 2,500 US an hour and I will sit as an advisor for free. Why is that? Because they asked. <laughs> they asked. I like them. We had some rapport. There was something about where they're going. I, I shared their vision or their mission. For me, it's a value screen, right? Because I've learned that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't charge them my going rate. They couldn't. Uh, the, the people that I help out in that situation, they don't. We give away scholarships to our main program today. It's a $10,000 program. We give it away. We'll talk about it maybe at some point on the call today. For those listening in, why do we do that? Because we want to serve. Entrepreneurs fundamentally want to serve, right? We want to serve our clients. We want to help them do great things in the world. And yes, in a free society, if you serve and bring value, guess what? You get paid. You get compensated for it. And you should. And by the way, for those listening in, if you're not getting paid well, you're probably not bringing lots of value to the marketplace. And I remember hearing that as a young entrepreneur and getting so pissed off when I heard that because I wasn't bringing the money I wanted to bring in. It's like, well, you know, there's probably one of those fundamental laws at play here. If you're not, there's something to look at. And it's probably your strategy, not yeah. you. I want to be clear. <laughs> not you, it's your strategy. Yeah. Change your strategy and change your income, change your life. You, you, you can't change you, you or you, right? You got strengths and weaknesses like everybody else. Your strategy you can change like that. Yeah. And that was one of the things I, I wanted to chat with you today was, was actually one of the strategies that um, you teach on, which is how to get top experts in, in your respective field to promote you to their list. Because there, there's a very common saying in marketing is the money is in the list. 
and it, it should be repeated. The money is in the list. Grow your list and your business will grow. So when I saw that, that course, I was like, that's it. That, that's what I want to talk to Tom about. Because for me, that, that is a big focus of what I'm doing or, or attempting to do anyways with the podcast, the business is growing a mailing list because I know it's that list that will become the asset regardless of whether the podcast shifts and I do something different or I shift businesses or whatever it is. So I'd love to explore that a little bit. And obviously we're not going to be able to get into like the, the thick of things because I'm sure it's a, it's a longer course. Well, it's a three hour masterclass we do for free. So we can actually get the links to people later, but we can certainly cover all five strategies in the time we have. Perfect. I think let's, that'll be let's do that. Really Why don't, do you mind running through the, those five? And well, I, before I might... we do, let's talk about why it's so important for people tuning in because Perfect. Yes. Um, there's two parts to what you said. That's so important. First off the list, I actually call it a tribe. I call it a tribe, not a list for one very important reason. Uh, a list that doesn't care about you and what you're doing and the journey you're on is digital waste. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something valuable. I used to play that game and it's just not. On the other hand, someone who opts in and they, they care about you and your podcast, Chris, and the message you're sharing and what you're doing, that has the potential to become a raving fan. 5,000 tribe members will lead to 500 raving fans. Mm. 500 raving fans, you have a seven-figure business. Plain and simple. So for everyone tuning in, in fact, my Twitter handle is raving fans, the number four, and life. Raving fans for life. Because the whole purpose of business is to create raving fans. A lot of people don't know that. Sorry, Michael Gerber. It's not more profit or more life. <laughs> it's to create raving fans. Raving fans are more loyal when you mess up. Lord knows I need that. Most of us need that. Number, number one. Number two, they willingly refer people to you unsolicited because they're a raving fan. They're not just a happy customer. They're a raving fan. Yeah. And number three, they, they seek you out to spend more with you and go deeper with you. That's the business you want to think about. It's not customers or clients. Or not happy clients, it's raving fans. And so that all comes from building a tribe. And the easiest, fastest way to do that is by finding someone else that has your tribe in their audience and add value to their audience. And we'll talk about different ways to get in front of that in a moment. But if you can do that well, you can cut years off your learning curve. Years. There are strategies now I'll share with you today that would have cut my 36-year journey in a quarter and produced far more results, but I didn't know them then. I didn't know them then, and there weren't podcasts then. <laughs> there wasn't even darn Google.com then. So, so uh, shall we jump into some of the five strategies? Yeah, I'm, I'm very eager to hear All some right. of these. So the first one, if you're going to swing above your pay grade, and that's what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about interviewing people or getting on their shows or getting involved in their summits that are way beyond where you're currently at. They're not better people than you. They're just further down the journey than you. And therefore, they have a bigger tribe almost always. And they have more influence and more income and more impact. The first is you got to appeal to nobler instincts. You need to appeal to nobler instincts. You need to talk about the benefit and the transformation of your work on their tribe. So important. I get people approaching me all the time to be on summits or giveaways or interviews or podcasts all the time. And it, it amazes me how little context there is around this, right? See, our job is not to promote you, the listener. Our job is to help our tribe. Right. So you need to speak in languages that help our tribe. How will it help our tribe? You can talk about the penalty of not taking action if you want a little bit, but if, if you're really batting above your pay grade, yeah, there's not a lot of leverage on that. No. There's not a <laughs> leverage. Be like, mm, I can just go make more money elsewhere. Yeah. Now, one of the easiest ways to do this is to create what I call a strategic philanthropy relationship. So I'll give you an example. Last year, we did this summit, an online summit called the Do Good and Make Money Super Summit. 90 people we interviewed, Chris. We had breakouts, we had main stage, we had keynotes, all cyber. We had four tracks, startup, first 100,000, 
first million, scaling to, uh, to uh, eight figures. We had all we had eight different topics. It was this massive summit. And I had people speak on that summit that I'd known for decades and had never, ever said yes. And said yes, 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 yes. Why? Because we were adding value to them. 100% of the net proceeds were going to two nonprofits. And we were very clear up front. One was run by us and one was run by our partners and what the proceeds were for and how it was going to work and, and the structure behind it. And we positioned it so that they could get maximum value from their little commitment of time and or promotion marketing side support if they were going to do that too. So we were crystal clear in the game we were playing and we built it around, I call it strategic philanthropy, right? Doing good and making money at the same time. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like, and, and to summarize it, the, the, it's really what's in it for me, uh, answering that question on their behalf. What's right? in it for my tribe? My tribe. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My tribe. What's in it for my tribe? Um, not me. Not me. That's right. what a lot of people make the mistake. I'm glad you stumbled on that. A lot of people make the mistake of, um, well, Jay Abraham will promote me because I can give him a commission. Right. Yeah, Jay Abraham makes a million bucks falling off his chair. He's not going to make a commission of 500 bucks and make it. Oh, wow. Thanks, Chris. 500 bucks. Yay. I can buy a nice <laughs> bottle of Pinot Noir. Right. He's not going to care about that. But if your message helps his tribe, he will care about it. Right. Right. Because right? at this point, they've gotten to the point where their whole business and, and not even the business, it's like they're, they perceive their purpose as serving their tribe. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. That's why. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. The next part, the next key to making the top experts to, to attracting the top experts is, is, is one that a lot of people aren't going to like. And it's, I call it, get all your ducks in a row. Get all your ducks in a row. This is a ton of work. If you're going to get someone to promote for you, you have to be ready. You have to have email copy or what they call swipe copy oh, yeah. with tested headlines. Do not have your marketing partners be your guinea pigs. That is just rude. It's absolutely rude. You got to have your social media posts with images, your opt-in pages, your opt-in forms, your landing pages, your cart abandonment emails if it's part of it. If you're doing low ticket offers, your upsells or cross-sells, your Infusionsoft or Entreport software to track referrals, all that needs to be in place as one of the ducks in a row. You also need to have a message. You need to have a clear, focused message, what some people call a signature talk. Right. You probably heard that term, Chris, a signature talk yeah. where you have clear, powerful outcomes and, and you know what you're going to talk about and you can do it in 15 minutes. You can do it in 55 minutes, right, with more stories and examples. But the key points are the same all the way through. You need yeah. to have that and you need to have that and be ready for it. Otherwise, you're not going to provide value. And by the way, one of the keys in that process is you're not going to the model. The old model used to be you got five things to teach to your method. Teach one or two of them and tease the other three. Come and get my free handout and you'll learn the other ones. That is such BS. Nobody, nobody wants to be manipulated. I don't care who you are. Even manipulators don't want to be manipulated, <laughs> right? And today, even more so than ever. So we don't do webinars anymore. We do masterclasses. What's the difference? Well, a webinar is 30, 45 minutes, 55 minutes, and the purpose is to sell you shit. Oops, did I say that on the air? To sell you something. That's the purpose, right? To sell you something. Masterclasses, our purpose is to train you and educate you and inspire you to take action in your life. Oh, and by the way, we have an offer, which is help you do this. Mm. So it's a totally different mindset. In fact, we design our masterclasses for people that will never talk to us again. They come to the masterclass, they get three hours of deep dive training, we'll never hear from them again. That's who we design it for. And lo and behold, we get lots of people apply for strategy sessions and lots of those qualify. And we do very fine thank you on our sales, but that's not what the purpose is. That's the byproduct of the purpose, right? So you got to have a good, clear message for that. The third part of getting your ducks in a row is you got to be ready for interviews. You got to have a good headshot that looks like you're a human being, not like a, someone who's wanted at the border for smuggling stuff across. <laughs> you need to have a short bio and a long bio because not everyone uses your bio. I know that comes as a shock to you, 
but my full bio takes 45 seconds to read. Not podcast wise, hardly anyone reads the full bio because they're chop, 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 chop. Yeah. I'm doing a main stage. I'm doing a keynote presentation. They read every damn word. <laughs> in fact, I actually write it in the contract, Chris, that they must read every word because I've learned if you don't, they don't even on a keynote. <laughs> so, and, and why is that important? Because in a keynote or some major presentation, you need the audience to understand your background, your context, your history, and why they should listen. You don't want to be wasting time telling them that. Mm. Ah, you want to be teaching and motivating and inspiring them instead. And you need a Q&A sheet. If you're going to do radio, especially, or lots of podcasts, you need to do a Q&A sheet. What's a Q&A sheet? It is a list of frequently asked questions that you wish people would ask you and you correspondingly have the answers prepared and you send the questions out in advance as part of your kit. So when you're, especially when you're on radio, this is so important. Talk radio, radio is a great way to get your message out. It doesn't have to be podcast. It can be conventional radio. They still exist and they're desperate for good, awesome guests. And the first time I had a Q and a sheet, I'll never forget this, Chris. It was a radio station in, in Detroit. And we had done one of these for the first time, and there were 18 questions. And the interview was the first 13 questions in order. It was <laughs> crazy, absolutely crazy. And they were so grateful and appreciative. Not only did they bring me back, not only did they plug my offer, which was a free whatever, whatever at the time, really well, but they spread the word to all of their cohorts in the syndicated network. I got all kinds of radio shows out of it. This guy's a pro. That's what a Q&A sheet means. Mm. This guy's a pro. So you got to make sure you have it and you got at least 15 questions. And by the way, not all fluffy, please. There's got to be some hardball. At the time I was uh, doing franchises. And so one of the questions was, aren't most franchises a ripoff? <laughs> that was one of the questions on my Q&A sheet. And my answer is absolutely, you are correct. Let me give you some examples. And then I would give examples as a franchisor of why franchises were a ripoff. Guess what two or three questions down the list was? So Tom, are there any examples of a good franchise? <laughs> well, so glad you asked, Chris. Let me tell you about some good ones. And of course, I'd give an example. Example and sandwiched in would be me and our brand but I would be specific relative to the bad stuff I'd shared earlier. So I wasn't blowing smoke. I was like, no, yeah, we don't do that. Like hidden markups on products where you have to buy it no matter what, that's ridiculous, shouldn't be done, right? That's, that's, that's terrible commerce to rip off your own customers. We don't do that, it's actually in our contract. In fact, in our contract, if we don't get you the best price, we get fined, not you. Mm. What, really, how does that work? And so you know, that'd be part of the discussion. Right, so you got to get all your ducks in a row. Um, it takes a bit of work to have those tools in place, but it doesn't take that long, right? It doesn't take that long. It's pretty cool. Any questions about that? Getting your ducks in a row? No, that one. Um, I, I would say that one so far has really spoken to me for the the fact that it's like I, I feel like that's one of the things I know I need to do more of. Then is like I've had some of those assets to help, yep. uh, but not enough is basically how I feel now, but that's yeah, okay. And, because and it's, that a, it's a tough bit of news, but, but when you get someone at that level ready to play with you, if you don't have it, you lose that chance. Yeah. And you lose that chance. That's why I'm like, you know what? That's okay. Because if I want to reach higher, I got to just step up my game and elevate it. Right. So, and the good news is once you know what you're looking for, it doesn't take long. Right. Like you don't even have to know what the heck a Q and a sheet is beyond what I just told you get on Dr. Google right? Say Q&A media sheet, Q&A sheet sample, Q&A media sample, you know, four or five combinations, you'll have a dozen of them. Yeah. Right. And, and then you can look at them and see and go, oh yeah, that's great. Okay, good. And you got the idea and away you go. Yeah. I, I call that process R&D, which stands for rip off and duplicate. <laughs> that's right. If you copy, here's an old adage. If you copy one person, it's plagiarism. If you copy three people, it's research. And by the way, in law, that's the case too. If your oh, product is a result of three people's work, it is legal and research. If it's the result of one person's work you're modeling, it is actually plagiarism hmm. in law. So there's, there's, some, uh, there's some legal background to that too. Um, you need to do your homework on it and you'll, you'll love it. You'll love it. 
Nice. Okay, so the next three strategies, though, are advanced strategies. All right, these are strategies not for the faint of heart, but they're ones that can short circuit the process and get you there really quick. And this next one is my favorite. I stumbled across this strategy. I got to say, I didn't like think it up or invent it. I stumbled across it by accident. And it's buy your way in. Mm. Buy your way in. What does that look like? In a live event, it's called a paid speaking gig where you pay to be a speaker on their stage. Well, why the heck would you do that? Because you can make a lot of money paying to be a speaker on a stage if you've got a compelling offer, right. if you've got an audience match, if you know how to present your signature talk in a way that makes sense. The most amount of money, I, I've had over, gosh, over 2,000 live presentations, probably over 3,500 cyber and live presentations in my life where I've been the speaker, one form or another. Literally thousands, okay? The most I've ever been paid to speak is $12,500. Ask me the most I've made on a stage. Well, yeah, well, how much? $250,000. Nice. For two hours. <laughs> Would that person have paid me $250,000? No. As it turns out, they made 250,000 as well. Yeah. <laughs> now I had a partner, so I didn't put 250 in my pocket, to be fair, but we, the two of us, we put 250 in our company's pocket and they put 250, 250,000 in their pocket. Mm. Happened to be T. Harbecker's Gorilla Business School the first year we did it. And we did it for several years because he loved us. Why? Because we made him a lot of money. We made him a lot of money. So today, when you're getting started, if you know what you're doing and you've got a compelling offer and a value proposition, you can buy your way on main stage. You can buy your way on breakout stages. And those two venues can be super lucrative. To getting the full revenue share deals, you got to have a track record. You got to have a reputation. Mm -hmm. Those are not easy because people don't give those away easily because they're very risky in terms of if you suck, they suck. Right? So you yeah. don't get those types of deals easily until you've earned your right. But the paid ones, they will lit almost every event out there. They'll check your references, but they'll take your money. <laughs> they'll take your money. And it's a great way to do that. So look for speaking spots always, right? Get to know, make sure it's an audience fit and be ready. If you're going to do this, be ready for their chaos. I'll tell you, they always bump you, move you, juggle you. If you're a minor speaker who's paid to be there, Frankly, most, most event coordinators think you're a disposable commodity. Right. Blows my mind. Blows my mind how disposable. There's a guy whose name I won't share. We were a paid sponsor. In this particular case, that meant we got two minutes on the stage and a booth in the back, outside in the hall. Two minutes. Day one, pre-negotiated. Day one, two minutes. Get there, and the event coordinator says, yeah, I got some bad news. You won't be able to speak on day one. We changed the schedule. You're going to speak on day three on a three-and-a-half-day event. I said, really? That's terrible. I got bad news for you. And they said, what do you mean? This is the event coordinator, not the organizer, the big name. I said to the event coordinator, who I know really well, I said, I really appreciate it. I know it's not you, but I'll, the next thing I'm going to be doing is calling my California attorney, and he'll be coming down with a lawsuit today, and I'll get all the other sponsors on that. Because obviously we can't get a return on our investment, so we'll have to sue you for all the costs of this event. And I brought a team of people here. We actually had three sponsorships. Hmm. And so we'll have to do that. Nothing personal, of course, you understand. But you changed the schedule on us and changed the contract. She said, give me a chance. Give me a chance. I said, okay, no problem. And I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad. I didn't scream and yell. I just told her the facts. I didn't have a California lawyer, but I was going to find one really quickly. <laughs> they came back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll put you on the stage. We'll put you on the stage. <laughs> And we got our time back. But they, I mean, we literally had to threaten that. What type of merchant is that? We're his only people who paid him money. <laughs> Everyone else came for free. We paid to be on that stage. But you're a disposable commodity. So you got to know that if you're going to play the paid game, you got to be ready for being jerked around and be flexible. And if you're flexible, boy, they're going to love you. They're going to love you. So does that strategy make sense? Yeah, that one makes sense. And a question on that one is, yeah. it sounds like the second strategy really should get refined before you even consider this third advanced one. Well, 
Because Good to question. me, it's like, why I would, would you? It depends. It would depend because if you have a compelling offer, yeah, but not all the swipe copy and links and landing pages and all that, you can actually make enough money to develop all that other stuff off of one good paid presentation. That's true. But right? I, the last time I did a, a paid speaking gig, and now I do mostly rev shares, revenue share arrangements, but the last time I did a paid one, I was a sponsor of a kickoff event by a guy I knew. It was the first time he was doing this event, but it, it was going to have 200 people in the room and my target audience. Mm. And it was five grand and we got to spend 15 minutes at lunch each day while they were eating food. Very mm. risky strategy, by the yeah, way. Because they're but super that, distracted. Yeah, but that was the only slot I could get. <clears throat> well, we turned that into six figures of business. We turned that into six figures of business. And so you can, you can monetize anything if you've got a good compelling offer. And by the way, what we presented, we didn't have when we said yes, Chris. We didn't have it. But what we did was a real good understanding that that audience was our audience. Yeah. And so we designed something for them that they literally would want to stop eating and tune in. And that's exactly what happened. It was so awesome. We had a lot of fun with it. Now, to be fair, he moved us outside. It wasn't bad enough. It was supposed to be inside in the hall. He moved us outside because we were in San Diego and it was so sunny. He said, we got to go outside. Hope you don't mind. I go, yeah, oh, we geez. mind. No one can hear us. Oh, we'll have speakers. I said, they're not going to hear us. Half the, half the room could hear us. Right. Still worked out. Remember I said, you got to be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Make sure your contract's solid, but also be flexible. We could have been jerks. We could have been a-holes and yelled and screamed. He was moving them outside for lunch. Why? Because it's a better lunch experience. <laughs> They're in San Diego, right? Yeah, Outside sunny palm trees. Better Come for on. him. So I guess maybe this is a little bit of like fear or reluctance on my part, but would it, would it make sense then to try your hand at smaller events and like just, just get more comfortable on stage as, as a speaker? Or would you, you suggest yeah, like just definitely? Definitely. Okay. definitely. <laughs> you don't want to do a paid gig as your very first time testing your offer. Mm. You want to test your offer. But here's the thing. Smaller gigs in front of the wrong audience isn't testing your offer. Right. Yeah, that's true. Isn't testing your offer. The good news today is you can test your offer in a cyber audience really easy. Really easy. Like we're going to offer a scholarship for people that want to build their authority and turn it into a high ticket program. We're going to offer a scholarship to that to people listening today. Yeah, I'll know whether that offer resonated with Chris's audience by whether or not people sign up once this is broadcast out in the universe. I'll know. It won't be a mystery. It'll either work or it won't work. And I'm giving away the knowledge and information anyhow. It doesn't matter to me in that sense. I'm not risking my whole business on it. I'm giving it away. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's an advanced strategy, by the way, people. Do not give away your high-ticket programs until you know <laughs> what you're doing. But I love it. It's great. It makes the world a better place. And it turns out, it's extremely lucrative for us because people become raving fans and refer us to other people. Yeah. So, so if you know what you're doing and you know your offer will resonate, absolutely. But most of us don't. When we start, most of us don't even have a clue. The danger, though, I've noticed, is people get advice from people who don't know what they're talking about when it comes to speaking. Mm-hmm or haven't done it, haven't actually earned their money that way. And so they get really dangerous advice about mechanics as opposed to connection, as opposed to making a difference in someone's life. And so you never really know if your offer has landed because you suck. <laughs> I'm not you as a person, you as a speaker. Right. Your skill set's not there yet. Your skill set's not there yet. Thank you, mom. Uh, dad would say <laughs> you suck. <laughs> right? The nice thing about getting paid to speak is you know, there's no mystery. You know, it worked or it didn't work, right? You know, and that's the part of what I love about it, frankly, right? Like as, as, as we're going, as we're recording this, we're creating a brand new masterclass. We're going to broadcast in a couple of weeks. And it's all about how to ethically profit from the chaos of this pandemic, mm. right? I hope by the time this broadcast, people go, pandemic? What pandemic? I fear not, but I hope so. We're going to literally go out and say, hey, how can you ethically profit from the chaos? Not survive. That's what most people are talking about, right? Get through it. Forget get through it. We're entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs should thrive through the process. Ethically thrive? Absolutely. So that's a high bar, a high challenge. 
And we're going to find out if we're resonating by how people respond to the content and how people respond to the offer, which will be a different scholarship offer, um, and, and whether they send us love, which is reviews. When you're doing online things, love is reviews. If those listening today, if you don't know that, please appreciate this. If you love the content of this chat with Chris and I or any other Chris's chat, you share the love by going to the podcast platforms he's on and give a review. Yeah, That's how you say thanks to Chris and Tom. That's how you say thanks. You don't track us down on social media and send us a thank you note privately. You can do that too. That's fine. We like that. <laughs> we have no problem with that. Connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever and say hi. Great. But that's not how you show love. In digital world, you show love by posting a review. Yeah posting a review and you need to know that and same thing happens when you're working courting those big speakers right by the way you need to do that you need to show some genuine love to them not false love but genuine love right all right time for the next two strategies yes. Super strategies. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> this one's um this one's a simple strategy but boy oh boy it's important with the big boys and girls and that is cloning cloning so if you get um can I use her name? Yeah, because she's very transparent about this. Laurel Langmire is one of the top speakers in the make money world of becoming, I think she calls herself millionaire maker right now. So Laurel Langmire, some of you may have heard of her. Some of you may have been to some of her events. Um, I think she's brilliant. She's not my taste, uh, but I think she's brilliant. Just full transparency. But she's got some really, really smart strategies on how to make a lot of money. And if you ever get Laurel to promote you, She's the one I learned this strategy from. She will have you take your opt-in page, Chris, and clone it on her site and have her opt-in form gather the leads and send you the names of the people that buy. Right. You don't get to collect names from her list, period. But she's got 750,000 people on her list. So would you put up with just the results, the opt-ins that monetized? Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> or would you say, no way, you have to use my landing page, Ms. Langmire? Like, well, then she'd say, bye-bye, bye-bye. <laughs> so the really heavy hitters, if you can figure out what cloning is, which your tech guys can sort out for you in no time, and offer it in advance... Now you're a rock star who understands the game. And now your chances of them saying yes went way up because you're no longer an amateur. Now you're a rock star. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So they, they protect their data. They protect as, their as data. they should. I mean, that's, they've worked hard to get to that point. Yeah. They're still not, the, that's the thing is like, they're still offering to, to support you and help you out. They're just doing it in, in a different way, which, no. you, I mean, really, it, if you're not grateful for that, then you probably are in the wrong business anyways. So. Totally, totally. <laughs> and, and by the way, not all the big boys and girls want that, but those that do, if you don't want to play that game, they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. Um, and the last strategy is actually seven mini strategies wrapped into one. Um, and it's, it's, you want to avoid being ripped off by your partner. You want to avoid being ripped off by your partner. And this is a handout we would give out to promote that masterclass that you were talking about uh, on this very topic, because the, I've done so many joint ventures and so many strategic alliances over the years that when I started looking back at what was the difference between good ones and bad ones, there was a pattern and it came down to seven things. Seven things that got me from boy, you're stupid, Tom, to you just missed one of these seven things. In fact, when I look back, every single time one of these seven was there, sometimes two or three. Sometimes two or three. And I have a little quote I like to say when you when you think you when you think you're feeling stupid, right? Take a moment to remember there are people who think the space program is fake. And professional wrestling is real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's all relative. All right. Do you want to hear the seven ways? Make yeah. sure you don't get ripped off. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, you must understand what's in it for them. What's in it for them. Right? They're not, if they're a big, if they have a huge list, it's not about a list build. They're not going to do this because of a list build. Mm -hmm. Right? When I had people speak at that summit I was telling you about and got some of these big names, 
that had never spoken on any of my events before, I was fully transparent and say, you're not going to get a lot of names. You're a speaker at an online summit. You'll get 30 to 70 opt-ins. Chances are. And everyone I said that to said, thank you for your honesty, Tom. I really appreciate that. And then I would immediately follow up with, but here's what I will promise you. And I had figured out based on them, what's in it for them. What's in it for them. So you have to have a clear understanding of what's in it for them. Number two, you got to understand is what's in it for them consistent with their core business? Consistent with their core business. T.R. Garland is one of the heavy hitters in the, uh, what we would call uh, um, heart-centered entrepreneur movement space. He's based out of San Diego. And I asked TR to be a keynote speaker at the same summit. And he'd never spoken to any of my events before. I knew TR in you know passing way, but not well. But I also knew this. He raised money for his daughter's charity like he breathed. And so my approach was, as keynote speaker, we get to have a cause to go with you. How about we have your daughter's cause? And it's the cause of the day for the summit. And he mm -hmm. said, how do I say yes, Tom? It was a five-second conversation. The rest of the conversation was, how do we make it work for everyone? How do we make it work? And again, I didn't promise we'd raise a lot of money for that. I promised we'd raise a lot of awareness and we promoted all day long, which we did, right? We didn't overpromise, but it was a lot. What's in it for them was consistent with their core business. Follow me? Yeah, yeah. In bigger organizations, do they have a strong internal champion? This is so important. Someone will say yes, because you'll meet someone from Thinkific, and they'll go, yeah, let's sponsor you. We'll do this. We'll do this. And then they come back, or they stall, they stall, they stall, and you have no strong internal champion in these large tech companies. You know, because of the technology world, you need a raving fan if you want someone to go to bat and change policy. Yeah. You need, a, in business, we call it a strong internal champion. Number three. Number four, do they have the sufficient resources to hold up their end of the bargain? right? Do they have the resources to hold up their end of the bargain? It's usually the flip side now. You're dealing with an entrepreneur and they mean well, but do they have the resources to put together what you need in a timely manner so that you can hit your deadlines? So that you can hit your deadlines. Because here's the newsflash. Your big program is not their number one priority, <laughs> nor should it be, right? It's not, I mean, if they are, they're an idiot, right? Unless, unless you guys planned it to be their number one priority from scratch, why would your initiative be their number one initiative? So you got to make sure the resources are there. And what are the resources that count? Time, money, and influence. Time, money, and influence. Got to have all three. Mm -hmm. Does this initiative, whatever you're working on, meet your partner's ROI hurdle rate, which is a fancy way of saying, is it worth their while? Is it worth their while? If they're doing it for opt-ins and only because of opt-ins and you're a new giveaway host or summit host and you can't guarantee opt-ins, you got to say that, brother. You're like, you got to come out and say that. There are other ways to help them with that goal, right? You can put a Facebook pixel from their Facebook account on your site and get them all the traffic, not just the opt-ins, Right? There's a little little hack trick there for you guys That's out there. That's a good one. I like that one. Right? It's a really simple one to yeah. give some extra high value people some loving, right? But it's got to meet their ROI hurdle rate. In our case, when we are asked to promote someone else's material, my only question is, show me your free material and how it will help my tribe. How will it help my tribe? That's my ROI hurdle rate. And then the last two, would you hire their lead on this project? And what type of people are you dealing with? If you wouldn't hire them in your company, you will get ripped off. You will get ripped off. If they're a flake and you're like, I'd never hire this person, you will get ripped off. Now, ripped off in the sense of active rip off is one level, but passive ripped off happens way more. They just don't get around to it. Right. Right. So those are the seven ways to avoid being ripped off. If you line up those five strategies, including those seven ways, you will be able to build high trust relationships. You'll be able to open up doors you've never thought possible. And if you follow up like a crazy man or crazy woman and show genuine concern and genuinely build rapport, they'll introduce you to all kinds of other people. Because I'm telling you, Chris, as sure as I'm sitting here today, 
20% of the people out there do this and 80% don't. And if you're in that 20% camp, we tell each other. We tell each other. Word gets around. Word gets around just as fast the other direction, of course. Yeah. But the good, direction, <laughs> the good direction is what you want and what yeah. you want to do. And if, you're, if you want to play the same game Chris wants to play, that's what you need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, you had mentioned, I think it was before our call, maybe it was earlier in our conversation, that one of the key things about this whole strategy was also making sure you are kind of like you're picking the right people, right? Like don't go and waste your energy on the wrong targets. Was that, was that what those seven, like the, the, that last thing that you shared about the seven? Oh, that's different. That's different. different? That's a really okay. good point. So who are the people you want to be your, your top experts, promotional partners, or what I call your dream 100. I learned this from Chet Holmes and Jay Abraham. Uh, well, yeah, no, it was Chet, Chet and Jay Holmes, when they, Chet they were teaching it together. Yeah. Um, your dream 100 are, who are the 100 people that if they became a raving fan of you and your business would have a massively profound impact on your life going forward? They're not necessarily Oprah. Or as I used to say, Donald Trump. <laughs> right now you can't say that because it's like good news bad news depending on who you're talking to right and if a lot of canadians are listening in mainly bad news right so you, yeah but oprah right? people can relate to that oh yeah oprah would be on my dream 100 list yeah but would she would yeah. she really be on your dream 100 list because it'll take you years to penetrate that audience if ever and if she became a raving fan would she have a profound impact on your business people in the financial industry used to always say warren buffett yeah warren buffett's not going to recommend tom Matson right? Or Chris as a financial advisor. Yeah. So don't get off your high horse. Warren Buffett's not on your dream 100. The a big one right now with the uh, might be the head of bank financing at RBC in your area might be the head of the treasury bank branch in Alberta might be, but not Warren Buffett. So the yeah. dream 100 needs to be people that literally, if they became raving fans would have a profound impact on you and what you do. That's how you pick your dream 100. A big one for digital marketers nowadays is Gary Vaynerchuk. Yes. Right. They're like, oh, I want to, my dream 100 has Gary Vaynerchuk, which, yeah, that probably, well, especially if you're in that right space, that would help. But everybody who's in that space is trying to get his attention. And if you see the way he works, he doesn't, as much as he attempts to, there's just no way he's going to be able to give attention to everybody. So he, he even says it, like, if you're going to try and get my attention, you got to do something to really stand out. Yeah. And, and he's a great example because if you're in alignment with what he teaches and the values he's teaching, then it's worth it. It's worth it to spend the time and money and get to know the people who know him. That's how you really court the big ones. You don't start with them. You start with the people who know them, have influence over him, right? That's one of the keys, right? So by the way, that means the executive assistant for those people, treat them better than you treat those people. Mm -hmm. Treat them better than you treat those people. Don't treat them as executive assistants or worse staff, right? Treat them better, right? Oh, wow. So nice to meet you. Fantastic, right? I know a guy who used to court C Fortune 500 CEOs and he did it by courting the executive assistants, he would fly into Chicago. He lived in Regina at the time, so you know the distance. He would fly into Chicago, meet the executive assistant, give her a book that he, he thought she would like, and leave. Not even trying to meet the big guy as part of a strategy of building high trust. And then when the relationship was there, she would, she would insist, she would insist he met the big guy. Right. Now, he happened to sell Motorola phone systems that were three to five million a pop because it was a whole network. Right. So yeah, yeah. you can afford to take some time to build that high trust relationship, right? If you're you know, selling a book, you're probably not going to do that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, definitely pick the people you want to get to know well. And if it's joint ventures, we've been talking strategic alliances, if it's joint ventures, only bat one level above where you are. I look at joint ventures in C, B, and A. If you're at the C level of tribe and influence, don't go for the A's. It wastes too much time and money on your part. Go for the B's and other C's. Absolutely. The people at your level and the people one notch above, absolutely smart when it comes to joint ventures. You want to go for the A's? Man, you got to have your chops. You got to have all that stuff we talked about getting your ducks in a row and some. 
So I just find it's easier, way easier to play with the bees. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. By the way, C's, C's like small audience groups, but really have influence. Yeah. Incredibly effective audiences to work with. Yeah, there's even a term for them now, micro-influencers. <laughs> micro-influencers. I yeah. love it. I yeah. love it. It's the first time I heard that. I like it. Yeah, I love it's, it. it's super popular on uh, Instagram and TikTok now. Makes is, sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Which would also explain why I haven't heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. at the same time because i'm not a tiktoker <laughs> for those of you listening in in the audio world you missed me dancing in front of the camera too bad for you and fortunate for the rest of us tom this has been an absolute pleasure tons of gold in here i know i'm going to be re-listening to this and probably taking that course not probably i will be taking that course so uh, I like to always wrap up the, the episodes, though, with asking a question of coming out of our conversation today, because there was so much value. What would be that one thing, though, that you would suggest the audience focuses on and, and puts the energy behind so that they can elevate themselves in, in this space? Um, great question. Uh, I love that. I would go on Amazon. I would take the topic you want to be an authority on or are an authority on and want to be more of an authority. And I would search it and find the top 20 books on that niche in Amazon. And I would take every one of those authors and put them on your dream 100 list right away. And then start the process of high tech and high touch outreach to them. Both don't just do technology right? Send them a lumpy mail, send them some fun in the mail, like find out their address in the first place. That'll take some work. Mm -hmm. Some of those authors will be well-known names. Many will be total strangers. You probably never even heard of them. They're actually even better because they'll love to hear from you and then stalk them in a good way. <laughs> Get on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the different platforms Twitter, that they're yeah. on, join their groups, contribute, add value. There's lots of people who give you advice on how to build high trust relationships with them. But you know, don't be a suck up. Don't be a goofball. Be awesome. Add value. There's the training. Thus like end of the training program, right? <laughs> like yeah. The same thing you'd want for you, right? The same thing you'd want for you. Like, don't be a stalker, be someone supportive, right? I joke about that part of it, obviously. But do that with the top 20 in your field and you can literally change your destiny. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice. I'm, uh, I am I have a Dream 100 on, on the way as far as it's building because I found it hard. I'm like, 100 names, that's a lot of names. So yeah, absolutely. I've, I've started adding as I come across names. I'm like, oh, I should they're on my list, but I didn't think of doing that though, as far as like just being really laser focused on the niche and, and finding 20 from that niche. So I know I'm going to do that and oh. I suggest everybody else do that. So thank you for that recommendation. Cause that's, that's fantastic. Where can people find you? I know like, I, I know people are going to want to learn more. So where's the best place for people to find you online and learn more about what you're doing. The, the best thing you can do is go to LinkedIn and connect. Uh, it's Tom Matson M-A-T-Z-E-N for our Canadian fans, M-A-T-Z-E-N for everyone else who doesn't know what a Z is. Um, and connect with me on LinkedIn and there'll be a bunch of links to some awesome training there. But for those of you that have authority or are you're a hidden best kept secret and you want to have more authority, we want to give you our number one high ticket program. We teach you how to create your own high ticket program, how to create blueprint, validate and sell it in four months. We sell this for $10,000. It comes with 12 coaching calls a month and success partners and training and templates and everything you could imagine for a paid program worth 10,000. And it's our gift to you as a scholarship if you think you qualify. And right now, just so you guys know, about 82% of the people filling out the application qualify. Not everyone gets in, so just know that. But most do, most do. And we'll make sure that Chris has got the link in the show notes down below so that 100%. you can go there. If you wanna create a six or a seven figure business, packaging your wisdom and knowledge, we're gonna teach you how to do it for free. Because we know we can change the world with entrepreneurs that can get their wisdom and knowledge out there. And we're going to help you do it as our gift. That is 
very generous and I will be applying myself. So um, I will compete with everybody. No, I, I think that's awesome. And I really appreciate the generosity for the audience. So thank you so much, Tom. This has been an absolute pleasure. I know we're going to continue our conversations because there's just so much that I feel like I could learn from you. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Thanks. That was, that was fantastic. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to the Get Coach Podcast. If you're looking for more information, you can head over to our website, which is getcoachedpodcast.com. You'll find the show notes for this and every other episode there. And if getting actionable advice every week from professional coaches is something you want more of, then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.